0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I dot Hello, my dark darlings, I'm
1: Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering in the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Our earthly possessions are just that, physical things of the earth that we can't take with us to the next life. What truly matters are our world experiences, and what kind of people we are when we interact with others. But often, we do place too much value on the things we own, and they can turn into terrible totems, and end up owning us. First, heed the messenger, or reap the wrath. Followed by a disturbing secret revealed at the cost of death. Then, a spirit is released and seeks revenge. Finally, in our featured story, Beware the Obsession of the Collector. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com so, want to hear something scary? <music> Terrible Totems. Our fascination with the grim, ghastly, and ghostly gives us such a thrill. But if you don't respect those who are at the center of the entertainment, there will be grave consequences. Like in this story inspired by Jessica. Thank you to one of our patrons, Dimitri, whose name has been used as a character in this story. Deep in the South, Decatur, Georgia has the famous Haunted Highway 23. It is one of the oldest highways in Georgia, originally developed to make it easier to travel from North Decatur to Claremont Road. However, when they were first paving the highway, it ran through a small cemetery. This cemetery consisted of only a few families, and most of their lineages died out years ago. Yet, instead of building around, the highway was simply placed over the cemetery grounds. The headstones were removed, and the few living families of the deceased were informed that their loved ones had been reburied in North Decatur, though they had not. Once the highway was up and running strange things started being reported. Many people saw apparitions in the middle of the road and would veer off to avoid hitting them, only to look back and the presence had vanished. Others would hear someone whistling as they drove the stretch of freeway, whistling that seemed to come from inside their own vehicle. Once they left the freeway, it stopped. The town began to whisper words of the freeway being haunted. These were all rumors, that is, until Dimitri, a college student returning home, had his first encounter. Dimitri swore that one night while driving back from the university, the translucent and phantasmal image of his great-grandfather Ward appeared in the middle of the road. Dimitri knew it was him, not only because all the men in the Walton family shared a resemblance, but because the ghost was wearing a St. Christopher necklace, it was the same one Dimitri was wearing, which had been given to him at birth from his great-grandfather. Upon looking closer, Dimitri realized Ward was reaching out as if to try and stop Dimitri, but he kept driving until he ended up safely at home. His parents explained that Ward had been resting peacefully in North Decatur for four years now, but Dimitri kept telling everyone his concern. For weeks, the townspeople thought Dimitri was joking around and feeding into the rumors, but he knew he didn't hallucinate and he could swear his great-grandfather was trying to warn him. Months passed and eventually the highway hauntings were used as a gimmick to attract outsiders. This made Decatur one of the top five tourist attractions in the state. But Dimitri still continued to warn them. He said if they made a spectacle of this place, they would be sorry. But with their newfound popularity and tourist income, no one in town listened to him. When Dimitri wouldn't drop it, rumors and vicious gossip began to circulate about him. He was dubbed the town crier and mercilessly mocked. This drove Dmitri crazy and his anger for his fellow citizens grew. As the highway gained notoriety, more and more accidents occurred. Sometimes when someone was driving late at night over the haunted area, human or skeletal images appeared on the road. Many people experienced ghostly entities that entered their car. Some sat in the back seat and menaced the passengers while others entered the body of the driver and caused chaos. The accidents along Highway 23 increased by 68% from the time they started promoting the haunted highway event. Several people were injured and a dozen more killed. Dimitri continued to warn them. Again, they did not listen. Frustrated, Dimitri finally decided to leave town for good. On his way out, He stopped on the highway in the same spot he had seen his great-grandfather. Soon, Dimitri heard a whistling coming from the other side of the road. His great-grandfather, Ward, whistled as he walked towards Dimitri. Dimitri explained to his ancestor that he tried to warn everyone, but no one would listen. Ward stopped whistling and pondered this for a moment. Finally, he raised a spectral hand and pointed to the St. Christopher charm that Dimitri was wearing. Everything's going to be taken care of, son, Ward answered ominously. You just remember to never take off my necklace, no matter what. They exchanged a solemn smile and Ward walked back to where he came from and quickly disappeared. Then it started to rain. Dimitri jumped in his car as the rain fell harder and harder, leaving Decatur and all its troubles in his rear view mirror. 10 hours later, an exhausted Dimitri pulled over to check into a motel. Inside, the TV behind the front desk reported that an unexpected hurricane swept through Decatur last night and destroyed most of the town. Many were injured and at least 50 were dead with more coming. But the strangest part was the damage sustained by Highway 23. Hundreds of bodies of long-dead citizens were uncovered by the storm. Authorities summarize that the small cemetery that once ran through that area was never moved, as it was promised. The secret was out and Dimitri knew and understood everything. As he stood there at the motel front desk in shock, the clerk asked him where he was headed. I, I'm not sure yet. West, I think, he said distracted. Well, at least you have St. Christopher to take care of you, the clerk mentioned. This stunned Dimitri as he caught her staring at his necklace. He asked her what she meant. St. Christopher, the patron saint of safe travels, You wear that on your way to where you're going and no harm will come to you. She smiled and handed him his key. He smiled back knowingly and took his key. He couldn't help but whistle his great-grandfather's tune as he walked to his room. Thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing this with us to inspire this story. And again... Thank you Dimitri for being our patron because we did use your name as a character in this story. So how about you listener? Have you ever interacted with the ghost of a loved one? How sure are you that it was your loved one? Do you have any totems that protect you from evil? What are they? Let us know. and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Everyone dreams of living a long, happy life, being able to see their bloodline live on. Yet sometimes, people go too far to keep themselves young, no matter who else it might hurt. Like in this story inspired by Sophia. Christy and Jenny loved visiting Nana Stanley because she spoiled her granddaughters each time they visited by throwing an epic slumber party. Nana Stanley was active and loved to have fun. If she took the girls to the water park, she'd be right there in the wave pool with them. If the girls wanted to play in the backyard, she'd be out jumping with them on the trampoline in the slumber parties, held each night were even more fun as they got to watch movies, play twister, and dress up with Nana's makeup and jewelry. One night, while the girls were snapping photos in Nana's vintage dresses, (laughs) Nana went down to the basement to pull out some old furs. While she was gone, the tween girls covered themselves in bright red lipstick, gloves, and clip-on earrings. They made themselves laugh as Grandma dug through old boxes in the basement with a smile on her face. She wanted to find something extra special for them this time. The girls decided they were missing one thing, high heels. So they went through Nana's closet and found a large shoebox in the back that caught their eye. They both grabbed for it at the same time and fought over it until eventually... The weathered cardboard box tore apart and spilled its contents. In front of them laid a very old porcelain doll. Long gray blonde hair, faded weary blue eyes. She even looked like she had wrinkles. Dressed in a red velvet gown with white lace around the neck and cuffs, there was something about her that was beautiful and familiar. At the same moment the box broke open and released the doll, Nana immediately felt a chill all the way in the basement. She gasped as she realized what had happened. Nana looked up to the ceiling where she knew the girls were standing and screamed their names. The girls heard their grandmother's panicked voice and headed straight for the bedroom door, but it slammed shut. That same moment in the basement, Nana ran for her door to go upstairs and it slammed shut as well. This left everyone screaming for each other with no way to reunite. The girls cried and held on to each other as they hid in the corner of the room. Nana used all the force she had to try and pry open the basement door. However, her fingers shriveled and curled, and arthritic pain shot through all of her limbs as she aged at rapid speed. Her knees buckled under the weight of her body, her hair, once flowy and brown, turned to a dull gray. Her breathing turned labored and short. The girls looked over at the doll and somehow she was now sitting straight up on her own. The doll looked directly at the girls. It didn't seem like the same doll. The wrinkles were gone. Her hair shiny and her eyes were now a vibrant blue. Nana calmed herself as much as she could, took a deep breath, and shouted loud enough so even the neighbors could hear. Margaret, Margaret, Margaret. Suddenly, both doors flung open and the doll collapsed. The girls ran to their Nana and found her aged and decrepit, grasping for air on the stairs. The girls asked a million questions. They needed answers. Nana explained that many years ago, she had a sister named Margaret and she had a doll that looked just like Margaret. When her sister died in a car accident at age 10, the doll was all that was left. Nana took the doll all around with her, feeling as though she was giving Margaret another chance to experience life. Later, when Anna went away to college and left the doll behind, she discovered that as long as the doll was hidden away, Nana never seemed to age. I knew it was wrong, Nana cried through tears dripping down her now-worn face. I traded her life experience for my youth. With her last breath, she told the girls, Never forget to take care of each other. You are all you have. Shaken and heartbroken, the girls tried to explain what they witnessed to their parents, but they brushed off the girls as having suffered trauma, particularly since the Margaret doll was nowhere to be found. The experience that should have bound the sisters to each other forever made each one more suspicious of the other, forever waiting for the day when one of them might decide the other's life is worth having the fountain of youth. Thank you so much for inspiring this story, Sophia. Would you want to live forever? If you discovered the fountain of youth, would you really want that? Would you use it? We can barely comprehend the 80 to 100 years that we get now. And if you would use it, what would you give to live forever? Sure, ignorance can be bliss, but the truth always comes out. And once the truth is set free, it sometimes takes revenge. Like in this story inspired by Milisha. In the late 1800s, an Italian professor named Bernetti created the original cremation urn, a porcelain sculpture that holds human remains after a body has been cremated. This brought peace to the family and allowed them to keep a part of their loved one nearby. Urns became all the rage in Europe. However, Asian cultures believed these receptacles were haunted. They didn't believe in keeping ashes and that both body and spirit should go back to the earth. Knowing the Asian cultural beliefs, many European sculptors started leaving the tops off of the urns and sold them as vases to tourists. One of these urns was sold to a young Malaysian man, Afsa, who was in Europe on business. While looking for a gift for his wife, he stumbled upon a gorgeous piece that he thought was a vase in an antique shop in Venice. It was black with white flowers hand-painted all around. The detail was exquisite. The store owner, Piero, offered it to him for 80% off, a deal he couldn't refuse. Afsa's wife, Farah, adored the gift he bought for her. She placed it on her dresser in their bedroom. Afsa and Farah were catching up over dinner when they heard a loud thud coming from upstairs. They both jumped up and ran to the bedroom to see the vase on the floor, unbroken. Farah assumed she had not put it back far enough. How clumsy, she thought but how durable the vase seemed to be to not even have a scratch. They put the vase back, this time where it was safe. They started to walk downstairs to continue their meal when midway down, five loud clangs came from the bedroom. This sent chills up their spines. This time, Aspha stood in front of Farah as they began to walk back upstairs. Farah held onto her husband's shirt she felt uneasy. They opened the bedroom door to see the vase on the floor. This time, it was spinning in circles, erratically, and when it began to slow down, it would speed up, almost as if an invisible hand had pushed it along. As Asfa went to reach for it, it slid from him, moving across the room. Jolted, Vera screamed. What was that? Asfa tried to calm her while he reached for it again, and it slid further this time. What did you do? What did you bring back to me? Farrah asked, horrified. He shouted, just a vase. He was getting frustrated. This time he pounced on the vase, which only seemed to anger it. The vase then pulled him forward, so his face slammed on the floor, which broke his nose. He still held tight onto the vase, and it continued to drag him about the floor with ease, leaving streaks of blood from his ruined nose in their wake. As her husband wrestled with the haunted vase, Farah grabbed for her cell phone. She began to dial for help when the phone was pried from her fingertips and hurled to the ground. Farah was shoved against the wall, and in the mirror, she could see the indentation of invisible fingers throttling her throat. Nafsa let go of the vase and ran towards Farah, but the vase slammed against the back of his skull, knocking him unconscious. Farah lifted from the ground by her neck. Her eyes bulged. She couldn't breathe as she thrashed, her limbs kicking and scratching what she could not see. Finally, Farah was flung to the other side of the room, hitting the wall with such force that her neck snapped, killing her dead. Asfa lay on the floor in a pool of his own blood and slowly opened his eyes. Above him, the vase floated in midair. Slowly, an image softly appeared before him. Holding the vase above him was the shape of a woman. At first, she looked like she was there to save him, so Asfa reached out, but then her face turned monstrous. Her eyes blackened, and her smile turned to disdain as she took the vase and slammed it into Asfa's face, ending all the life that at once lived in that house. Days later, investigators swarmed the house. Could it have been a lover's quarrel? Nothing made sense, not even the murder weapon lying beside Asfa's body. The investigator examined the vase. He flipped it over to read what appeared to be Italian, a translation would show that it read, My darling Sophia, please forgive me. Yours always, Piero. Underneath that was Piero's company emblem. As it turned out, the Venetian store owner Piero had been accused of killing his wife Sophia by bashing her head in with one of his sculptures, but was released on a technicality. Piero claimed it was a robbery and cremated her immediately before the police could gather sufficient evidence. He put her ashes in that same black urn with white flowers hand-painted all around. Piero began experiencing hallucinations and suspected he was being haunted by his wife, so he decided to dump her ashes in the ocean and sell the urn as a vase to the next person who walked in the door. Sadly, that person was Afsa, and worse yet, the angered spirit of Sophia didn't float off to sea to rest in peace with her remains. Instead, she attached herself to the porcelain chamber of the urn where she could unleash her fury on anyone unlucky enough to possess it. Thank you so much, Melicia, for inspiring this chilling ghost story of a haunted cremation urn. Listeners, what do you think happens to a body after it passes? And how do you feel about burials? Are you superstitious about them? Do you have any spooky experiences you can share? Send them to snarled.com. The most prized possession of someone's collection is often the thrill of the hunt itself. There's no greater feeling of satisfaction than finding that rare prized item. Beware to anyone that tries to take that feeling away. It costs more than life itself. Ayla hadn't played Pokemon since she was in grade school, but when she read the news of rare packs of cards being discovered under the shelves of stores, she was curious. Even better, some of the cards turned out to be extremely valuable, so she decided to join the hunt. Ayla spent her whole Saturday driving from store to store and checking under their old dusty shelves, hoping to hit the jackpot, but came up with nothing. As she was about to give up, Ayla decided to try the mom-and-pop store by her house. King's things had been around forever. They had to have something lurking under those shelves. Ayla entered the store and made a beeline to the trading cards. She got down on her knees and reached blindly through the dust and grime underneath the shelves and tried not to be grossed out as something skittered over her knuckles. Finally... Her hand landed on something. Ayla pulled out the packet of cards and admired her score. She had never heard of the something scary collectible card game, but it looked cool. It must be worth something. At the register, the cashier, a young man named Damien, was astonished by her purchase. His jaw dropped open as he eyed the cards suspiciously. Was this on the shelf? He asked. Yeah, it was the last one. She lied. Damien reluctantly rang it up. The total came to $6.66 with tax. Creeped out by the cashier, Ayla quickly paid and hurried home. Ayla looked up the Something Scary cards and was pleased to learn that they were extremely rare. And unopened packs were worth hundreds of dollars. Even better, many of the individual cards were worth much more. She planned to milk this for all it was worth, and that started with taking pictures for her social media. As she started to unwrap the cards, she heard a knock at the door. To her surprise, Damien, the cashier, was waiting outside. He looked frazzled and scary as he eyed the open pack of cards in her hands. "'Did you follow me home?' she asked. "'I'm sorry,' he replied. "'But I... I mean, my organization... The gatekeepers need to buy those cards back from you. He pulled out his wallet and added, We'll pay whatever you want. Ayla was terrified of Damien, and she firmly told him no as she closed the door. Damien suddenly pushed the door open and tried to snatch the cards out of her hands. As the two struggled, the pack of cards exploded across her living room and both went after them. Ayla reached her card first. It was the Collector. As she stared at it, Damien yelled, No, these cards are evil. As a gatekeeper, it's my duty to destroy them. But Ayla didn't hear that. She only heard the voice that whispered in her head. Play the card you were dealt. Ayla turned to Damien and slammed the card on the ground. There was a flash of light and suddenly the monstrous collector appeared before them a gruesome creature made from the many different parts of his victims. The collector quickly grabbed Damien as a young man heard his voice whisper in his own head, The
0: gatekeepers will never stop us. Pay what you
1: owe. Damien realized he had never clocked out from work from King's things. He was there on borrowed time. The collector grabbed Damien by the wrist wearing his watch and twisted it until it made a loud crack. As the monster plunged its sewing needle into Damien, Ayla posted the photos of her Something Scary cards with the caption Humbled and Blessed. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markeia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Dennis Culver. Narration by Markeia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman.